Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. You listen to the silence, drawn on the ashes of ancient sacrifice. I'm Ian Woodworth, I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today we have another special guest, Nick, better known as Goblin Archives, here to talk about his game, Liminal Horror. And some horror TTRPGs in general. Yes. Welcome. And I love, I love that name. I love the name Liminal Horror. That's just, (laughs) that has so much feel to it. I love it. I know. It was fun. Funnily enough, like most things, it was the working title, but then I couldn't think of a better one. (laughs) (laughs) That happens. That happens more often than we like to admit. Untitled document. (laughs) Yep, you just have a list of things, and I'm like, you know, none of these sound right. I'm going to go with the one I just put as a placeholder. Um, And it definitely evolved from there, and I'm like super happy with it now, but it was funny that it was that sort of first off. Like one of the podcasts I listen to is Intentionally Blank. It's the podcast with Brandon Sanderson and Dan Wells. And one of the jokes is that Dan Wells' first book, I Am Not a Serial Killer, that was the working title. That was just the name on the folder. <laughs> and his editor told him, no, you have to make this the name of the book. So yeah. sometimes you just have to trust your gut. Yeah. It's, you have yeah. it with up there. Sometimes it just works. All right. So let's go ahead and get started off. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a general introduction, who you are, what you do, a little bit about the work that you've done? Yeah, so I go by Goblin Archives. That's where you could pretty much find me anywhere, you know, Twitter and all that itch. Um, I made a game called Liminal Horror, which was a hack for the sort of OSR game called Cairn, which if you like lineage it out, it's into the odd. All of that boils down to it's a pretty straightforward, simple game. And the game that I created, Liminal Horror, is sort of framing it into a modern setting. And it's a horror game. On the back of the book, it says cosmic horror. But as we've made more and more stuff for it, I found that it's pretty adaptable to any kind of horror game. And that's the thing I really like and enjoy about it. I've been able to do like the thing I've been able to do, like control office horror. And so you can sort of tailor it to what you want it to be. And yeah, I am a big proponent online about bringing other and helping lift other people up in making stuff. How do we lower barriers for people to make content? Because I think like the more voices, the more people that are making stuff, the better. So absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right, so how would you define liminal horror? I mean, because it is the title of the game, and it may not seem very intuitive off the cuff as to what exactly it might mean. <laughs> so what what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Okay, so um, liminal as that word, people have probably seen it a lot, seen it a lot online, those creepy pictures of hallways and like empty spaces. Luckily, after writing a lot of stuff for the game and then working with my sort of co-writer now, Josh Demansky, we co-wrote the Bureau and sort of are co-writing a lot of other stuff now, doing stuff together. Both of us realized that liminal, meaning a transitional space, is actually about characters. And so this is a game about how your characters change, right? They're normal people and then weird shit happens and then they are different at the end of it. There's a thing called Fallout, which is sort of how we replaced Sanity, which is typically in a lot of horror games. And it is about how your character becomes weirder and weirder and more like the things they're investigating or fighting Ooh. or fighting against. Um, and so until they up, die. <laughs> until they die or they become the monster, right? And so yeah. 
liminal horror is about like how our characters, how people change by like coming up against these weird, unknown, dark, horrific things. And it's sort of like where the fun and the play comes. I love that concept. Like I like the concept of liminal spaces because liminal spaces to me are just kind of creepy. My favorite one is I had to fly back and forth between parents when I was young. So like being in an airport at like two in the morning where it's just empty and you've got dozens of monitors all playing, you know, Wolf Blitzer on CNN, that kind of thing. But then as you're talking about the characters changing too, I love that concept. Some of my favorite story concepts are either corruption or redemption of a character. And so, yeah, you could have that go either way. I start thinking of Vampire the Masquerade with White Wolf systems where you have that whole humanity thing. So those where your characters can shift in their things. And so that brings so many concepts to mind. Yeah, and I think that rooting it as horror, like not always good things are happening to our characters. I lead that out in the book and in everything. I'm like, our characters are, like you said, Ian, like they're not necessarily going to (laughs) survive. And we got to enjoy that part of it, right? That's why we're playing this game. Yes. Um, And so, like, there's a line in the facilitator pointers that I think it just specifically says, characters die. Yes. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's, just those two words. Yeah. yeah, characters die. It's the last bullet point on danger. <laughs> it's like characters die. And I talk about how for the players, we talk about advice on like the goal is that the story moves forward. And as a table, we want to enjoy that. And some of the times that means having the characters make bad decisions because we are. And I frame everything as a film anyways. Like we're in a horror film. Like yeah. people make bad decisions. I, the player knows that's not the right thing. <laughs> But it makes sense narratively that my character will go into that room alone. Now, one of my absolute favorite games, and I, I am begging Ian to at least watch some actual plays of it, but have you played Darkest Dungeon, the original? Yes. 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 And even that, in Darkest Dungeon 1 and in 2, they, same thing. Your party is going to die. You're going to fail. You know, that it, it is part of the game. And it's that fail better next time type thing. And with that, your characters do change. They pick up these quirks and these things that drive them more and more mad. So yeah, again, love the aspect of that game. So I'm really excited to see that on a table. So what sort of media do you tend to draw your inspirations from specifically for a horror type story? Okay, okay. But, I was like, because I watch a lot of like Real Housewives at home. With my wife, <laughs> I actually have a That's his own different game. special kind I have of a horror, horror game for that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> just do so, a table flip i roll table flip <laughs> right? real housewives um, meet stepford wives you know <laughs> so i love framing adventures as this meets this i found that okay. sort of like my advice to people when they're writing games is like make an elevator pitch it's this meets this the mall is the thing meets a 1990s mall the bureau is control meets gradient descent I found that as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more into horror media. It wasn't a thing I grew up with, but it's a thing that I've leaned towards. Again, like I said, my wife is into horror, and so we watch a lot of it. And it's a thing I can easily convince them to put onto the TV. (laughs) And so I'm getting to approach all these things sort of with a fresh eyes and a fresh lens. I also have been reading a lot of short form horror that's been a huge like during covid short story horror collections especially from small presses have been like really gaining steam i can think filthy loot specifically uh apocalypse party like are putting out these collections of short stories of horror that is just like you cannot get out of your mind and i read like one story before bed and then like i think about it all night 
And sort of how I approach adventure writing is I'll take a movie, I'll watch it, and I'll take notes while I'm watching it, and then I'll wait a few weeks, and then I'll use those notes to create an adventure. Nice. Sort of like I've forgotten enough about the movie, and I've taken some very weird notes, and okay, now I can apply it to something. No, that is a great way to draw inspiration. I mean, you take something common or something that everybody has, and you know, something baseline that people can totally relate to. And just put your own little spin on it. I love that as inspiration because there is so much media out there. Why can't you take those ideas and run with them? Right. And so it's just like, okay. And then horror does a great job of like really leaning into setting and having really cool monsters and that. And I have no qualms watching a thing and stealing ad hoc from it and turning it into something (laughs) new that someone else will then take and make new at the table, right? How I write it is not going to be how it plays at the table. And that's my favorite part. I'm giving some tools, I'm giving some stuff, but how people are going to take that and run with it is, I bring it up in Liminal Horror, and I'll always say it is, we do this for table play. Like I do this for people to bring to the table and to play at the table. And that is the most important thing. And so whatever I can give to help that be the most fun experience is I'm I'm all down for. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that liminal horror is based off of the system set forth by Yochai Gal in Cairn. Mm -hmm. So why did you decide to use that very rules light system instead of something that was a little more crunchy, like a powered by the apocalypse or a forged in the dark sort of system? So I think it aligns a little bit to how I transitioned through games. I love Powered by the Apocalypse. I love Forge of the Dark. I've played a ton of them. One of my favorite campaigns was The Sprawl, which is cyberpunk uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. And I've ran Band of Blades, I've run Scum and Villainy, and I sort of transitioned from 5e to those kinds of systems to really landing firmly in the kind of games that I really enjoy running. Not that I don't enjoy running those either. Like... Electric Bashaland and Mothership were the two big ones. I was like, oh, this is so fun. Maybe it's because they had such great adventures and things, but I ended up finding I really liked that the barrier of entry for my players was low. The rules were things people could understand really quickly and get to the story really quickly. And we could then use it to focus on the characters and like what's going on. One of my main groups, I ended up being usually the only one to ever read this. I ran (laughs) forever. I ran games long before I ever got to play in a game. But I was also the only one to ever read like 5e, so I had to hold all the the, uh, (laughs) rules in my head. Right, yeah. And I liked about systems like Cairn, Into the Odd, Mothership, is that they were pared down to a level that were straightforward enough that people could just take them and run with it. And when I finally got inspired to write my own game, I was listening to the Lost Bay podcast and I was like, oh oh my gosh, I could do this too. (laughs) And I I was starting to think about, okay, what do I want to make? And then I thought about it and I was like, I want to make something off Cairn, maybe because Yohai was the one who inspired that episode inspired me to write my own thing. And then I thought about, okay, modern horror is sort of like this open space that no one's done really anything with it in terms of the osr osr i put in quotation marks if you're listening um (laughs) uh in this space right there's call of cthulhu there's a couple other really big you know there's esoteric enterprises there's some really great games but nothing like as light and pared down as this and so i was like Okay. okay i'm just gonna do it and it worked it helps when you take a system you know works and then just add some stuff on it uh (laughs) Because yeah. I was like, I know these rules work. I've <laughs> run this game. I've run Electric Bachelor. I've run Karen. Like, it works. And so I just added a few things and tweaked just some stuff and put some coats of paint that made it modern <laughs> and had a game. 
No, I love that. And you've touched on a bunch of things, I think. So my next question, I'm going to kind of ask, like I said, you've touched on a, a bunch of this, I think. But you're walking into a game shop and you want to get people at your table. You talked about doing your elevator pitch. So you've got a crowd of people at a game shop. You have your game. You have Liminal Horror in hand. What is your elevator pitch to get people around the table? What are you describing this? What am I playing? Uh, let's take some normal people and throw them in a fucked up situation. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, I frame it as let's take normal people and what happens when you put them into a horror movie and try to get them out the other side. Okay, I like that. <laughs> my favorite times ever running Liminal Horror when I was like playtesting this with my table groups, I always had convenience store clerks. Um, if you read through it, it's very geared towards average people going through and experiencing this stuff um not cops not authority figures because i think there's media that treads on that and that's not the thing i'm interested in i'm more interested in people who sort of like go through a journalist a writer a convenience store clerk that sees this thing happen becomes sort of obsessed with understanding it and solving it like an adventurer would right like okay you know you meet in a bar in a tavern in D and I sort of wanted to be like you meet in the 7-eleven and you see this monster outside i love that and again talking about different forms of horror for me i think that really encapsulates the concept of like an eldritch horror it's something that is so profound to your mind that it alters it in some tangible way. And those things that just kind of always haunt you, like you see that thing in the street and you just can't let it go. And you know, the next week you're still thinking about it and a month later, you're still kind of remembering it and it still gives you shivers, you know? And you're like, did I really see that? Was that really what I thought it was? And you kind of want to go back to that spot and relive it or check it, but you necessarily not always can. I love that concept and and that kind of spooky psychological horror. That's the stuff I love. All right. So we also touched on this a little bit earlier, rather than having a large list of rules for the facilitators to keep track of on how to run the game, you instead have a series of bulleted lists of just guidelines, principles, for your facilitators. And so what does that bulleted list provide for facilitators that say a concrete list of hard and set rules doesn't, or what sort of different tools does that provide? And can you go into a little bit of detail on what some of those principles may be? For sure. So I, this is modeled off of Karen cause Yohai had these both. And I know I can honestly say, like, if I had ended up trying to make my own game, I would probably have done something similar as well, because both of us did a lot of, like, Powered by the Apocalypse play. He Mm -hmm. wrote a bunch of stuff and worked in that world a lot, and that system has a lot of principles, right? What guides your facilitator, your GM, your DM, whatever you call it, sort of what things or initiatives do you give that to drive sort of like how you structure play? And so what I like about it is, this is, again, putting quotations for audio format. This is a rules <laughs> light. There's only, like, the rules fit on a back page. I have a rule summary that has the entire rule set on the back page. What this does is it gives, there's a lot of space for the facilitator and the table to make rulings and sort of determine what works for their story and their table. And what the principles do is sort of give some guidance on how I, Goblin Archives, 
intended for stuff like this to play. But again, it's not explicitly listed in this, but anyone can take the game and they can do it however they want to do it. Uh, It will still work. But these are the things that I think are important when structuring and sort of creating an adventure and sort of interacting with your players. So if I'm looking at the principles for facilitators, there are eight. Information, secrets, preparation, dice of fate, difficulty, danger, choice, and failure. And really what I'm doing is at on this one page, and each one has about four bullet points, I'm trying to give the scope of understanding for the person running this, like the type of game this is and how I think. And so it hits on a lot of stuff like failure. Failure should push the story forward. It's encouraged to elicit complications or twists from players. I'm sort of trying to get established how this game is different than others and how it's intended to be played. A lot of it hits on like risk is important. Do danger. Don't come in with preset notions and like, follow along with the story and sort of work together as a table you know like difficulty realism and fictional positioning are a good starting place for setting difficulty choices should have consequences this is just sort of like my advice and i wrote these thinking about all of my best times ever playing at a table and the advice that would elicit that kind of play that is a wonderful idea yeah definitely like Take what makes the game great and try to pass that along. I love that. Right. And it's, it's all advice and all of it could be ignored. A few of them are like things I truly hold dear. Like the first bullet point is information. Information should never be kept behind roles. Um, that's sort of implying and sort of like why I don't have perception roles. And so it was my means of like establishing that. But again, people can ignore this and run it the way they want to run it. Because as much as this is me saying, here's my principles for how I play, you might want to do it differently and like, go ahead and go do it. As long as it's cool with your table and y'all have a good time. That's all I care about. <laughs> no, again, the point of a game is to have fun. That to me, that's the most important. So a lot of it is advice. Um, it sort of structures like how I wrote the rules and how I wrote things. It sort of is me revealing how I think things are important. But again, like it can be ignored. It can be changed. None of the things I've, when I've ever worked with an editor, I say, none of my words are sacred, like hack up as much as possible. <laughs> Cause in the end it's about what can I do to help the table? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the actual mechanics side of it? Because as far as I can tell, there's only really four stats that are really important. You've got your strength, your dexterity, your control, and your hit points. Yep. And so can you touch on those just a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So it's a three-stat system. This is taken in direct descent from lineage of Into the Odd down to uh, Karen, down to Liminal Horror. There's strength, there's dexterity, and there's control, which control i decided to shift sometimes they said charisma sometimes they said willpower i changed it to control to thematically fit i think the genre okay so you have three stats you roll 3d6 to make them and anything that is risky you roll and you roll under your stat to see if you succeeded that's a big caveat of if it's not risky i don't think a roll is necessary i don't think unnecessary rolls are fun and i don't think binary it just doesn't happen i also don't think is not fun and so i explain that in some of the principles of make sure there's a risk if you're asking for a role there's an interesting complication it pushes the story forward if it doesn't i think 
if it's reasonable, pet players should just be able to do it. Okay. And I also like about these kind of systems, they're like inward facing. I, the GM, don't make a like, this is a DC 15. It's all about their own skill at it. And so they roll against themselves. And then HP for these kind of systems is called hit protection. It is the character's ability to avoid danger. So it's not hit points. It's not health. I've seen some good blogs describe it as like if I'm in a fight and it's going against my hit protection, it's like how things are missing me. But it sort of whittles down until you don't have any more. And then when you lose your HP, and that's a D6. So it's only one to six. As that goes down it starts pulling from your stats Ooh. damage or stress. And then bad things happen when if it hits your strength or it hits your control, you make a save to see if a bad thing happens. Interesting. I like that concept. That's actually really different. It sounds kind of fun. Yeah. The other biggest, I think if we're talking about in terms of other games, the biggest difference is there is no roll to hit. Everything hits. Ooh. You only roll damage. Everything is dangerous. Everything is violent. If you are getting into a situation where violence is happening, the risk is super high. I love that. That sounds like a sausage grinder of a game. It's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) And if I read correctly, in an instance where you would have multiple characters attacking a single monster, Uh all of the characters roll their damage, and then the highest damage result is the amount of damage the monster takes. Yes, uh, right. that is a shift that was taken, I think. So there's Into the Odd and Electric Bastion and then can't, all that. It's so people don't gang up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It makes it so like we're all hitting at something and our highest damage is going to do. It ends up working really smooth. Violence in these kind of games is fast, quick, and dangerous and should be avoided whenever possible. A lot of it, too, is around giving people there's no advantage mechanic, but narratively, like, so I could look at us both and like, maybe we all shouldn't attack. Maybe I should try to like grab the person or throw some oil on the ground. And it, it's the goal is to try to do creative solutions to approach things and then potentially to approach violence if necessary. I don't want to fight hand to hand a Wendigo. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to do everything possible to not, or to set up an elaborate system of a thing to try to make the battle work while, because this is the climax of the movie. Right. I like that. And the way you describe combat where like combat is your absolute last resort reminds me of another game. I really enjoyed, but alien isolation was an amazing game. And it does have that whole liminal space because the name of the game was perfect. And you like are just about the only person left on this huge space. And you have the Xenomorph and you have androids that pop up, you know, here and there. But when it's time to fight, it generally is your best bet to turn tail, run and hide until things are clear. When it comes to fighting, you're going to lose 90% of the time. And it is that slowly building up and ramping up of suspense because you know there's going to come a point where you're not going to have any option but to try to fight. And then that has to be really, really worth it. So, and I, I, the way you're describing your game, I get that same feel too. It's like just kind of spacey. And then when it happens, it happens so quick and then it's over and you look around and hopefully everyone's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. And like that to me, I, there are times in certain games I do love a crunch and like a tactical battle. But for when I wrote this game and the kind of like why I thought like a horror style game to me isn't a tactical battle 
simulator or isn't like i'm not using minis i'm not doing like that like to me this should be fast quick dirty scary let's get out oh no i'm about to die let's run away try to like close the door we'll try to regroup later as the nemesis is coming for us right like and so that's again why i thought it was a perfect fit for this hacking onto karen was because that's how that fantasy game is structured and i thought it would work well for a horror game in the modern setting how would you feel if your characters at the table are, say, newer to the roleplay concept? Because this game, it seems like it does lean more into that concept of roleplay at the table. How would you try to encourage that if they were newer or less familiar with that aspect? And maybe they are used to something more like 5e or Warhammer, where it is more of a combat tactic type base. So what I do like about the modern setting is that it is instantly relatable to everyone. We all exist in a modern world. We all exist in these spaces. We all interact in these ways. And I find it is easier for people to lean into that. I love playing with new players and playing with players who come from different systems or more trad gaming. I think that is the most fun because you get to really experience something new in both cases. And what I've found that I really love is that if I say a 7-Eleven at 1 a.m. and the slurping machine is broken, most people, if I'm working within a certain demographic, instantly have that in their head. And yeah. the, and if I describe that the clerk is hating everything right now and is just begrudgingly wanting to go on a smoke break, like it instantly transports people to that place and yes. allows them to draw on maybe some role play that is just more natural. The other recommendation I have to people, especially with this game, especially if they're new, is to choose a character archetype in their head. Choose a character from a favorite movie. Choose a character from a favorite horror film and really lean into that to use that as the basis and then grow from there. Because my recommendation for people starting out and like, especially if they're trying to role play a little more is go with what you know. (laughs) Choose a thing that you really like. Choose a thing you're really into. There's no shame in playing a character from a film and like using lines from it and doing that because to me at this table the story is new and so it's interesting i love that that is great advice so you touched on this a little bit already so many horror games notably call of cthulhu have a mechanic based around sanity causing characters to suffer penalties as they are exposed to more and more horrific things in their sanity depletes Mm -hmm. you explicitly decided to use a different mechanic of stress and fallout so can you go into a little bit on what is different between the stress and fallout versus sanity and why you decided to make that change yeah for sure and i think i'm pretty sure i explicitly talk about it in the game as well um i wrote this specifically in this specific instance to not stigmatize mental health as a barrier as a deterrent as a stigma and this is not me right now saying and like knocking people who enjoy call of cthulhu and those kind of systems i just when we have these sanity systems and we're talking about breaking sanity as a horror concept and then trying to role play that and trying to role play certain mental illnesses or disabilities as consequences for failure that to me is not interesting and can lean to problematic and just doesn't make me feel good And so what I wanted to do was create a system that still elicited what I thought those were trying to go for, but did it in a way that does not say your mind breaks or says a thing that people are dealing with and live with and have and thrive with 
as a negative consequence. And so what I did was I took stress and fallout. Stress is it's damage, but it's more metaphysical damage. It's your how encountering the weird, encountering the dark, seeing someone um flayed or turned inside out, right? Gives your character it's stressful. It gives yeah. you stress. And if those things that hits your HP, just like damage does, it makes you less good at avoiding other things, other dangers. And if it hits your control and like makes that go down and you fail that save, you might take fallout. And fallout is, this is a non-leveled system. There's no XP. There's no way your character progresses other than how they change at the table. And fallout is the way that does it. And I framed it as how your character becomes more weird. So like I can think of a couple, I'll just like read a couple fallouts. So I take stress. I am being hunted by the Baba Duke, right? Or I'm being hunted by the alien. And it's just like making, and I'm, there's sort of an implication that the weird or the horrific in this world can infect, right? Like that's how this kind of stuff happens. And I wrote fallouts that are all sort of, they can make your character stronger. A lot of them. But they are also narrative hooks. They're how you get weirder. So one is hunger. You develop an unnatural hunger for the unusual. If you don't satiate your appetite in 24 hours, you take a deprived tag, which is a stat thing. If you eat, it restores HP, but gives stress to everyone that sees it. Another one is around how there's this door that follows you that only you can see, and it's just different in different places. And there's the implication you can't open it yet. Or there's a crown of molten tar that some people can see, but not everyone. And so what I wanted to do was seed these as narrative. Like all of the fallouts you really could turn a campaign out of was trying to identify or like explore. A lot of them have additional lines about like, re-roll different stats and it could make you stronger or weaker but it also just makes your character more weird like now i have this character that is a convenience store clerk but he has a dripping um, crown of tar that some people can see right like and like how do you ever come back from that or how do you move forward to me is more interesting than just saying a character's mind breaks or you become schizophrenic or whatever like sanity systems do right. um that's just less interesting to me than saying like you have worms that are you have a dead god growing in your stomach and like oh, wow. eventually yeah. it will hatch yeah that's <laughs> my favorite the progeny yeah yeah that was, that was I, my favorite I really like your description of the door. That kind of reminds me of the Dark Tower and Gunslinger with uh, mm-hmm. Stephen King. Yeah, so I just that, that was immediately what I thought of when you read that. I'm like, ooh, that could be all kinds of fun. And like these were all callouts to different horror stuff that were just fun to me to write. My recommendation to anyone ever writing their own adventures is that you write a custom fallout table for your adventure that's tied to sort of the horror of it, of the monster or the evil or whatever whatever thing is because i think that is the most interesting when we wrote the bureau we wrote custom fallouts that are all about like shadow corruption because that's sort of what is the theme of that is what's going on in that and so the fallouts become directly tied to what is going on in the adventure which just reinforces that narrative as well that sounds i kind of want to see like a whole illuminati type scenario or something like that would be a lot of fun too i I don't know just kind of the whole like giant global conspiracy everyone's after you type thing would be yeah (laughs) so talking a little more generally for the moment through the lens of ttrpgs how would you define horror as a game setting 
and what makes a game a horror game rather than just a game that is scary. Yeah. You know, this is always an interesting. I've been fortunate enough to be on a couple panels where I talk with people about this and sort of try to grapple with can games be horrifying? Can games be scary? Can games have tension? I think when it comes down to, I'm not in any of my mechanics trying to simulate being scared. Right. Like a lot of the way I talk about games and frame things is like as a movie. And like to me, liminal horror adventures are at their best when I frame them in sort of like that context and how characters change. And I think it's when you deal with themes that lean a little more into things that are unsettling or way outside of the norm. I love it when players and characters are put in situations where they have to make decisions that are difficult, that make them have to decide whether they're going to have that character change from their core ideology in response to whatever's going on. That to me is always the most interesting way we I try to frame things, put people in like difficult situations. Do I leave this person behind to survive? Do I sacrifice myself? Does my character act selfish in this way to put others in danger? Ooh. And to me, horror as at the table is when we're just dealing with themes and concepts around things that are scary, things that are dangerous. How does that change our characters? And again, like framing it back to like, how does my character change? It can be as simple as like the murderers coming after us. Right. And a lot of it is about set dressing tension. Some of the things like my recommendations to people, if they're trying to do horror at the table is um, scarcity, right? Like if I'm taking away light, if I'm taking away resources, like that creates a tension that makes us have to make decisions and also pushing I think a difference between if I'm trying to run a horror game or if I'm trying to run just an adventure, power level is one of those things. But the other is around how fast I'm trying to make people make decisions, because that's when you start to like, if I'm sitting and we're making a huge plan, like that's one thing in terms of like how that feels and how that plays out. But if we're like putting your players at like an increase, like we've hit a point where we hit in a very increase, we're not giving a moment for pause that can make them make decisions that are good or bad. And again, it's about table play and understanding like what we enjoy things breaking bad for our characters, which is like a roundabout. I don't know if that answers the question, but to me, I think it's... It kind of reminds me of the concept and that was really touched really well in the movie 28 Days Later. But the true horror is in fact the human condition. And it's how a person can break one way or another. Well, one person will become selfless. The other one becomes so selfish and self-serving, you know, and they become that survivalist where one person becomes very withdrawn or one person becomes very altruistic, you know, and you can't tell how that's going to happen until that moment happens. So your best friend might totally like just turn their back and book and leave you behind and you won't know until that. So yeah, I love that concept of just the humanity of the human condition. I think could be a lot of fun to explore at the table with this game. And so I think it's how you structure the adventures and the setup and understanding at the table, right? Like if I'm wanting a power fantasy or an adventure, like, and I'm using that as a frame and those games are so much fun too. Or Okay. I love, horror heists i think heist and (laughs) horror work really well together i think heists are just the best genre of ever but it's about like am i holding my characters sacred if not am i putting them in positions that will make them change sometimes for the worse and then just sort of like ways you're applying tension to the situation no i love that okay one of the things that's going on right now up until the end of the month is you are running a game jam for liminal horror yes so 
Could you take a moment to talk a little bit about the game jam and maybe explain what a game jam is for listeners who may not be familiar with the term? Yeah, so I'm not 100% if it came out from itch.io, but jams are typically genreed, they're not contests, but genreed like events where people submit works under a theme. Sometimes they're for specific systems, sometimes they're for specific, like Eco over at the Lost Bay did a great scissors paper glue jam where people made TTRPG stuff using like cutting things out and gluing things. And like that was the theme and you made anything for it. Eco and I also did a jam called Artifacts of Horror where everyone, there was like a table and they created in-universe artifacts to align to those omens that like, and then we took the omens away and like, that's all you can tell from what happened. Um, And so what I've done for Liminal Horror is I finally did it, and I was like, I called dibs about three months ago on Twitter. I said, okay, October's my <laughs> month. Um, and But I did a Tales from the Void, uh, a liminal horror jam, where the goal is for people to make things for liminal horror. And I say things super broadly. It could be a monster. It could be a short story. It could be art. It could be an adventure. It could just be a faction, additional rules. Like, to me... Any contribution, I think, is interesting and fun. And some of the things people have put forth has just been like wildly phenomenal. And so the goal was just to get people to make stuff because I wrote this game. And when I wrote this game, I knew it was something I was going to stick with. And it was something that I was going to spend time with and want to support. Sean McCoy of Mothership had a really good thing where he was talking about how systems survive and thrive by building a community around them. And that was the thing I was interested in doing with this game. And part of that is lifting people up and making stuff and showing them that, hey, this is a fun system. And this is sort of an an area in the game, in games where I think is interesting and there's space for people to make some really cool stuff. And so this was my means to do that. And I've been really, I've been floored by the responses and the things that people have made for it. I've been trying to make a lot of small stuff for it too. And there's been some adventures and uh, rules and things that have come out that I've just like been like, Oh my gosh, this is so rad. <laughs> One that I remember seeing recently, I think it was, was it a uh, Emil Boven that did uh, liminal high school? Ooh. Oh, that is uh, Evelyn Moreau. Did Evelyn Moreau. High school. Yeah. Yeah. She and I actually did the layout for that for her because she did the art and the writing. And she's like, does anyone want to do layout? And I was like, I'll do this on a Saturday for you. <laughs> um, so it's all of these tables. Another recommendation for people. If you write long form liminal horror content, I think custom character generation tables makes it all the better. I did it for both the mall and the bureau. And so what Evelyn did was make a high school character generation tables where you roll up high schoolers and it's just so good. Um, She also had a couple things that she's done that I want to carry forward in terms of she has these equipment tables where she just says, roll on two equipment tables and there's like five of them and you can do the same one. So it gives some sort of like agency for the players to roll on and then did a thing in terms of how your cell phone can protect you from stress but it starts to break and things weird things start to happen for it which i think makes that mechanic really stability really work in a way that i was just floored when she sent me the additional table and i was like this optional rule is amazing um because my cell phone probably would help me grapple with some of the things that are going on (laughs) yeah i totally get that It, it lets you almost throw in sort of 
like the found footage movie sort of aspect to oh, it. Yeah. So there is uh, some rules coming out specifically for running found footage. Nice. Drop before the end of the jam, which I'm excited that people are adding supplemental rules. Sort of what I've been doing, other than writing those adventures, is I've been putting out modular rules that people can add on to Liminal Horror. Like I wrote one that was like flashbacks or expanded vehicle tables or funnel rules, just things that people could add since it's such a like a rules like system and sometimes people want more crunch. I have some supplemental things that you could add to your table to like expand and make it deeper if you wanted to. And just to clarify, whenever you talk about funnel rules, that's where you start off with a pool of characters and you basically you run them through the meat grinder and see which characters survive <laughs> to pop out the other side. Yes. And okay. so I wrote funnel rules so you could use Liminal Horror as a funnel. Very, I think, created by, I might not be, that might not be true, but popularized by DCC and DCC funnels, which are so fun. And like you said, I have five characters. How many survive at the end? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I have uh, funnel rules. Someday I'll write a funnel for it or get someone to write a funnel. But like optional rules for stuff like that, because I think that I sort of didn't realize it when I wrote it at first. But the game works in such a way that it is open to so many different iterations that that's just fun. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and I was talking with you a little bit before we started recording, started streaming, that I'm actually working on a module for the jam right now. Working title is Beneath the Lake. I haven't settled on that, but basically there was a thing that was sealed away in this town that ended up getting flooded by the TVA when they built a dam. And then something happened to the dam and they had to drain the lake. And now they can get access to where the thing is sealed away. And you have to try and prevent it from getting out. See, I love it. Because I can imagine it. And then when you're using the things and when you're describing the settings, I love that. The thing I like about modern, my friend put it best when he described we were running a fantasy campaign for forever and it was so much fun. But he was like, sometimes when we were describing certain like in-world minutia, it was hard for him to imagine, right? He had this dwarf descended from a king and he was like, camp stuff was just sometimes hard for me to imagine this like long traveling. But when we played a game set in our hometown, he was immediately able to visualize that. And so like when you're going to be able to describe the dam and the lowering of the dam and like describe that to tables and players and something that people can have an instant schema for it helps them feel a comfort that you then get to throw a huge wrench in when the thing comes out of the lake <laughs> right yeah all right i think that pretty much does it for my questions james you got anything else no i think my questions are fairly wrapped up as well i am super excited about this i love Love the concepts you have behind this. This sounds like so, so much fun. So yeah, that's my favorite thing about the jam is now there's a lot of different adventures. There's a Catholic school adventure out right now. Uh, Welcome to St. <laughs> Julian's by Kyle. There's a Metroscape Bloodbath by um, Logan Dean, who wrote the company that is about yeah. uh, skate rink that goes horribly wrong. I ran that a couple weeks ago. That was so much fun. Josh Demansky did The Vanished, which is like sort of like a floor on the bureau that wasn't written yet. 
that is just like omitted from the bureau but is about people getting sucked into machines there's just a bunch of different things from people there's the boat on myrtle beach i don't know if you saw on twitter that at myrtle beach there was this boat that got stuck outside and the cops were like do not go near the boat nothing's <laughs> dangerous and i posted saying hey someone should make an adventure for it and they did that's um, awesome and then I wrote The Mall, which is literally John Carpenter's The Thing, but set in a mall. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's it's like the, it's like the mall meets, uh, was it Dawn of the Dead? Is it is that the one like, that was in the mall? Yeah, yeah, Dawn of the Dawn Dead, of the the Dead is in the mall. So it's set, it's awesome. set in the Lloyd Center, which is the mall near my house <laughs> in Portland. The whole space gets ripped out of time and space, so you're trapped. And then there's this thing that starts replacing people. And there's a mechanic in there where players at the table get replaced but the only person who knows that is that player so it's a mystery to both the person running it and everyone else at the table um, oh an invasion of body snatchers would be a great thing to set up with that Ooh. yep it's that kind of could easily be ported to yeah. the whisper cards and i would love for someone to take that and put it into something else and then the bureau which was written by josh demansky and myself which is sort of bureaucratic corporate horror office as mega dungeon and so you're these people that are in it's like control like you're in this you show up in this lobby this bureau that takes magic and sort of artifacts in the paranormal and it's all on lockdown and you have to get the building out of lockdown so you go some people think you go up some people think you go down whatever headcanon works for you but you try to get the director's lockdown exited and you get weirder and weirder and that's how you get strong enough to beat the end boss <laughs> oh nice yeah all right well i think that brings us to the end of the interview portion of tonight's uh, stream one of the things that we love doing with our guests whenever they come on is a segment we called monster mashup where we roll some dice on our random table and create a monster on the fly are you game for a monster mashup Oh, definitely. It's spooky season. Monster <laughs> yes. Mash is the name of the game. We Absolutely. totally need some theme music for the Monster Mashup. We, we got to figure this out. <laughs> Eventually. Have to find something that isn't copyrighted. Yeah. I think if you play five seconds of it, it's fine. Yeah. For, was it the fair, fair use policy? <laughs> it's like less than 10 <laughs> seconds or something like that. We did the mash. Okay, now we're done. There we did. Yeah, done. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you oh. end the segment. We did the mash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you are ready, the first roll is going to be a D4 for locomotion. Okay. I rolled a two. A two. It runs. Okay. There we go. Had a lot of runners lately. We've had some fast zombies. We like it. All right. I have modified this entry a little bit since last time. Uh, Next is a D6 roll for what does it eat? A three. A three. Insects slash vermin. Okay. Okay. All right. Again, we have played fast and loose with the definition of vermin before. So, I mean, (laughs) and again, too, this kind of helps us decide, like, are we going to go fantasy? Are we going to go sci-fi? Are we going to go modern? Are we going to go realistic? So this is definitely going to be a horrific creature. Yes. I mean, oh, we I already have some. I already my my mind's already running. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, what like happens a fast when there's no, man right now? Okay. I, exactly. And I'm like, what happens when there's no more bugs to eat? It's really where the <laughs> well, horror comes. Well, out. we're gonna figure out what it decides is vermin based off of the next roll, which is another d6 roll for its size. Oh, that's a six. It's gargantuan. <laughs> oh, we've got cosmic horror. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, um, well, I mean, in that case. 
humans are vermin. Vermin, yes. <laughs> we, we've yeah. got something like Cloverfield going on now. Or it eats, it eats all the bugs in the area, and everyone's like, "Why is there no more crickets going on?" And then yes. once it runs out of the bugs to eat, it, it just yeah. gradually gets to larger and larger prey. Larger, because what it's oh. vermin is is you know that's a pretty wide range for it. That would be awesome. Maybe like you know. Everyone notices the crickets are gone. No big deal. And pretty soon, like maybe all of the crabs and shrimp are gone. And then the lobsters and like slowly, like the crustaceans are disappearing and the bigger and bigger ones. And then it's like well, 1 billion snow crabs. Uh, I just saw that yeah. today. And so they had to close the snow crab season. So I feel like this is already in play. Yes, uh, I love it. <laughs> okay. Next up is a D8 roll for social organization. A one. Oh, one, it is solitary. Oh, I love this. We're going to have like some sort of like deep sea ocean thing that's just going to come out and be hungry. And run, run real fast. Yes. Attack on Pacific Titan. Rim. <laughs> Pacific yes. Rim attack on Titan running. Oh, yes, I love it. All right. This is going to greatly inform where we go with this. Uh, next up is a D10 roll for native environment. A seven. A seven, it lives in the hills. Ooh. I was imagining you were describing, you know, Appalachia and the mines, and I'm like, what? okay, <laughs> this running out of the mines. Oh, that would be terrifying. Maybe it's like one of those, like with a trapdoor spider, so it's like an ambush type predator where it just like lunges out and grabs whatever and just like whoop, sucks it back in. Or it's a literal smoke monster. Yes. Oh, that'd be like an, oh, uh, what was it? Lost. Yeah. Yes. Oh. So the smoke monster lashes out of the hole in the ground, grabs whatever, and sucks it back in? Yes, I love that. That's awesome. Oh, what was it? Ferngully? The, uh... Oh my gosh, it is Ferngully. Yes! The, 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 the what was it? Hexus? Nexus or something like that? Something like that. The big ooze monster? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, next roll is a D12 for Method of Defense. 11. 11. It has spines. Yep. That fits really well. I am seeing yep. some sort of like environmental catastrophe. So something that like got angry with the strip mining or something like the that, you know, Spines of the mountain. Yes. Okay. Maybe the spines look like dead trees. That's exactly what I was thinking is like whenever it's dormant, it just looks like a stand of dead trees. Oh, there we go. Until you walk into it and then it wakes up. God, because um, you're the vermin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I love it. All right. This is where we're going to either really nail down what it is, or it's going to totally throw a monkey wrench into it. Love it. Yeah, uh, monkeys. Another D12 roll for creature type. Four. Or it is a construct. Someone oh. made it. I think that yeah. fits, too. Yeah. I think it's we the had people construct... setting fires in the mines. Yeah. They made it. All the Again, we miners. had constructs with the, the last one, too, that was, yeah. kind of fell along a similar vein. Yeah. But for this one, I'm thinking kind of along the lines of sort of what's going on in uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania, the real life inspiration for silent Hill okay. where, where the coal mine caught fire and they could not put it out. Put it out. And it's yeah, still burning. Yes. And, and so, you know, you walk in and the ground is hot enough to where if you take a match and you set it on the tarmac, it will ignite. Yeah. Yep. It, it will flash, flash the match. So, you know, it could be that the disaster is what caused it, and it may not be actually, you know, like a construct construct. I like the fact that it could be an unintentional construct. 
You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe there's enough negative energy poured into the area or whatever that that's what's given this thing sentience or life and it's or formed in, from. Or in season four when we realize someone actually intended to set the fire. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> or, or, you know, to go truly macabre, it could be that this is the congealed souls of all of the miners who were trapped in the mine when it caught fire. Oh, yes. I love that. There we oh, go. and they're angry at the corporation. There we go. Yeah, there is. Yeah, of course the company. The company <laughs> sealed them down there. The co- company straight, didn't yeah. after them. Okay. Ooh. Next up is a d twenty roll for quirks. Twenty. A twenty. Ooh. Roll twice on the chart. So give me two, two more d twenties. Thirteen and six. So thirteen is digs slash creates pitfall traps. <laughs> yes. So that's, that, that's perfect. Yeah. And six is. Um, this is going to be interesting. Congregates in large herds slash family units. I don't know. I said we re-roll that one since it's solitary. Yeah. Or you know what? It could be the congregation of the souls if we were going that route with it. Let, let's, I, see, let's see what the re-roll try. is. And yeah, we'll, let's see what a re-roll does. 15. Uh, roll again on the D12 chart and combine. So another method of defense. <laughs> 13. No. Oh. D12. D12, yeah. Uh, sorry, I rolled the D20. Let me get a D12 out. There we Open go. for a five. A one. A one. Pincers slash claws. I, I can smoke still claws. Kind of see that. I mean, nature love, loves the crab form. It's just. We did just talk about crabs at least three times. Already. Yes. But if we're also going for a minor thing, and this is the. Like axe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's mining picks. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a construct. It is. It is all of the the mass of you know the metaphysical and physical mass combined. Those, those old yeah. backhoe dozers that have the you know the whole yeah. thing. It could be that. Yeah. It's all, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We 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 are truly going. I think we're staying in the horror theme so far. Yeah. I think this is truly horrific. Now we get to make it weird. Yay. So <laughs> can I get a D100 roll, please? Yeah, let me um, pull this up. 95. Ooh, Ooh 95 is shaped slash bears markings like a letter of an ancient language. A colony slash herd can be used to decipher a dead script. You know what? I kind of like this, especially maybe if it's made with old Mining equipment or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, you could be getting, you know, offshore equipment or even if let's port things 100 years from now and maybe English has faded or the dialect has faded. I like it. Yeah. I mean, even that or like I said, you could have some old French, you know, if there was some old French equipment or old old English or old German equipment. Yeah, totally could do that. So the way I'm kind of picturing this is it's, you know, it is by the caves in the mouth of the caves and it's laying there and like. The equipment, the old abandoned equipment is part of it. The back, you know, has those spines, so it looks like dead trees. And it's still until it knots and when it moves, it it jolts super fast. Yeah. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the men that were working in the coal mines in the mid to late 19th century, a lot of them were Irish and Italian immigrants. Yes. And so it would make sense to have some Italian script. Yeah. 
sort of melded into all of this. You'd have like a pigeon almost like in New Orleans where you have like the French and the English and you have the, and they call it pigeon or the Creole. So yeah, you, it would be very possible to have a Gaelic and Italian Creole would actually make a bit of sense. Yeah. That's also why certain counties in West Virginia have pepperoni rolls, by the oh, way. Okay, nice. It's because of the Italian immigrants. Yay food. <laughs> All right. Since you got to do the second one last time, I'm going to do the second roll on the D100 table tonight. There you go. Okay. Do it. And we've got a six. For once, those dice could actually be used to play Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> six. Limbs are tentacles. <laughs> Love it. Especially if it's that smoke monster. So yeah, that, that totally, that really fits. Weaves out. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's recap what we've got. It runs. It feeds on insects slash vermin. It is gargantuan in size. It is a solitary creature. It lives in the hills. For methods of defense, it has spines and claws slash pincers. It is a construct. It digs pitfall traps. It has remnants of an ancient language upon it. And its limbs are tentacles. So now's the most important question. What do we call it? I'm going to say that Spine of the Mountain that feels, is a good name. That is a great name. You brought that one up while we were working on this. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that it'd be like the kinds of things people would tell, grandmas would tell stories about. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, God, you gotta stay away from the Spine of the Mountain. Yeah, that has a great feel to it. Definitely. That's why you don't go down into that holler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well done. Beautifully done. Yeah. And and that is definitely the sort of thing that you would get in an Appalachian sort of setting. Yes. Like that holler is off limits. Yep. And then the ghost stories involved and you know Yeah, like what was it what is it, the Brown Mountain lights? Stuff like that. Uh, um I, I'm not familiar with that one in particular. There is it's Brown Mountain, it's something it's along the North Carolina border with Tennessee. And there are certain lights that flash and, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of story and stuff behind that. But, okay. you know, it's it's a up, series yeah. of ghost lights reported sporadically for many years near the Brown Mountain. Yeah. In the okay. Gorge of North Carolina. Yeah, no, it'd be a stories and they'd have all kinds of different reasonings behind why yeah. you don't go in the holler. But really, it's just this fucking the sorrows of the old the miners. Miners. No, I love that. Yeah. Long abandoned. Absolutely. Maybe and, like if you go nearby or you're on the ridges, you can hear like some sort of howling or moaning from it, you know? And honestly, this fits thematically in the module that I'm working on. Yeah. I'm not going to change it to put this in, but <laughs> it would fit in a follow-up adventure. Yeah, yeah. The follow-up adventure where we go from salt mining to coal mining. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just the mining trilogy. Yes. Have a different I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that was a whole lot of fun. That was fun. The other thing that we like to have our guests do is give a shout out to someone else in the TTRPG community. It can be a podcaster, it can be a content creator, musicians, artists, just somebody else in the TTRPG sphere. Who would you like to give a shout out to today? I think I'd have to give a shout out to Josh Domanski, who co-wrote The Bureau with me and is from then on, we're co-writing a lot of different stuff and have a lot of projects for Liminal Horror coming up. They're also who helped 
we made the Tales from the Void a Kickstarter that had uh, Matthew Morris, Zach Hazard, and Evelyn Moreau did digital pamphlets for. And so Josh and I have just really worked hard to try to lift other people up in the scene and just I enjoy co-writing with them. So they're going to be my shout out. All right. And I'm going to take a moment. We mentioned him a couple of times during the episode and give a shout out to Eco over at the Lost Bay. His show is great. You should go listen to it. The Discord server that he has for Lost Bay is great. You should go check it out. There's a lot of people on there that do a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah, Eco yeah. Eco's good people too. Eco is the reason why I got into writing games. Eco also is making some really cool soundscapes for a different project that I'm doing called Bay Ocean, which is set around an Oregon coastal town, just different horror stuff. And so I was like, Eco, make a cool thing that would be playing on the pirate radio. And Eco did. Nice. Yeah. I had the great privilege of playing in one of the playtest sessions for his Lost Bay game. Oh, it's, it's so good. It it's is so good. It's a whole lot of fun. Holy shit. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, so I I played I played a junker. So the junker is the one class that doesn't have any sort of like magical or supernatural abilities. I also played the junker. It yes. was great. Yeah. I gave my heart away. It was yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the very end, I don't know which uh game you were playing. We were playing the one with the arcade. Um, I played that one before, but I was a pyro for that. So one. at the end, we were trying to figure out how to get out. Right. And at the very beginning, um, I rolled. I only had one hit point. And so whenever I <laughs> fell through the ceiling at the beginning and you take one hit point of damage from landing, I instantly went straight to zero and got a curse. And my curse was that I had a hole in my bag. And so I had to roll every single time I went to pull something from my bag. And if I rolled low, it wasn't there. Oh, God. <laughs> I would just lose items throughout the course of the game. And at the very end, we're trying to get out the doors and the doors are chained shut. And so I pull out a screwdriver and I pop the pins on the door so that we can, you know, pry the door off. And uh, at the very end, the door falls back on me <laughs> and kills my character. But I, I, but I got the one of the reanimation ones where um, it was the second self. So basically the door lands on me and squishes me out of my own skin like a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, it's so good. That game is going to be so great. Uh, it is. I'm, I'm so amazing. looking forward to it. For those listening, Eco does a thing called burdens, which are the things is, is what your characters carry, whether they're items or they're your special abilities. And as you take damage, you lose your burdens. And if you lose all your burdens, you're nothing at all. It's just, it's so good. It is. It really is. But anyway. yeah, if you join the server, maybe Eco will run it for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. he's, also... he's still running. He's still running uh, playtests. So, oh, for uh, sure. As and far as also... I know, he's actually still got. Uh, by the time the actual podcast episode comes out, it may have already passed. But he does still have some playtest slots open. So, for sure. And Eco was kind enough to open up a Liminal Horror Channel. Yeah, oh, I, very just, nice. I didn't feel I could give the kind of curation of a discord, a whole discord that I felt like those require to thrive and be successful. And Eco was so kind enough to open up a channel on the Lost Bay for Liminal Horror. And so that's where people talk about the work that they're doing for Liminal Horror. So yeah, yeah. join it. Shit's really cool there. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, I'm wanting to 
open the floor and let you have a chance to plug yourself, plug your work. Yes, please. Where can we find you? Where can we throw money at you? The floor is yours. <laughs> oh, shit. Money? Um, no. Uh, so um, you can find all of my stuff on, you know, I'm Goblin Archives on Twitter. I also have an itch.io page. That's goblinarchives.itch.io. I have the entire, and like that's where you can find links to everything. I have a website that has the entirety of the core liminal horror system online. It's all posted there. It's fully searchable. You can run it from your phone. I wanted people to be able to have access to it because, you know, when we're playing at a table in person, you know, one person buys the book, but not everyone has a copy. And I wanted everyone to be able to access the game because to me, people playing is the most important thing. Right. So the whole core text is for free online searchable. Like, go do that. Go play it. I, if I want you to play it, I want you to hack it. I want you to make stuff for it. I also have a newsletter. I have a blog that I post stuff on. If you're interested in making games on the website, there's an annotated archive of game design resources. It's all the stuff I found when I was trying to make my own game. How to do layout, how to sell stuff, how to print stuff, all of that. So I, I compiled that all in one space for people. Yeah, no, I. you can find my stuff in print. Exalted Funeral publishes the stuff right now for Liminal Horror, The Bureau, and The Mall. Liminal Horror is also carried in like Knave of Cups and a couple other places. It was at my brick and mortar store, and it was maybe the best moment of my life seeing my stuff <laughs> at my local game store. Like that That's shit was awesome. so cool. And yeah, you know, and there's a bunch of community copies for everything. I'm about access first and foremost. Like money's cool. I use the uh, game money to make more games <laughs> so i just reinvest that stuff there but um right. if you are wanting to play and you don't have the money for it there are tons of free options so you could play this game awesome. like i do not want that to be a barrier ever and we will definitely put links to all of that in the yes. show notes when it, whenever this episode comes out yeah for sure thanks yeah, no, and thank you so very much for joining us. This has been just a super fun interview, so thank you. Yeah, I love... My favorite thing about making a game was I got an excuse to talk about games all <laughs> right? the time. Um, and that's just cool. And for listeners or people, like, tag me on on Twitter if you, like, play it and you like it. Or, like, I love recaps of sessions. Like, to me, the coolest thing is that people take time to read and run it. And so... And I know that's the same for all creators or i'll I'll blanket it if a creator doesn't think this way like who cares but like to me we all love you all bringing this to your table making stuff like don't think that those words of like excitement are infectious to the people who are making the stuff and again it's all about play there's not a wrong way to play um well there is unsafe and like bigoted all of that's wrong but there's like if you're doing it your style and like rules are meant to be ignored and just like have fun yeah. have fun with your friends <laughs> <laughs> they're really more like guidelines exactly right like they're <laughs> guidelines and like i'm not there i'm not going to tell you what's wrong have people ask me questions like i can tell you sort of what i think is the answer but like whatever works for your table that's why some people talk about uh rulings not rules okay yeah and so like yeah. making rulings for your table staying consistent and having it be a thing everyone agrees on but like yeah have fun play games this shit's rad that's why we take the time to do it yeah <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so very much for joining us tonight we've had a grand old time 
thank you everyone for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under common taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, just search under common taste. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash under common taste. That's where we put our write-ups. That's where our Spine of the Mountain write-up is going to be whenever I get around to getting it done. <laughs> the module that I am currently writing for the Tales from the Void jam, that is also going to go up as a patron benefit. Exclusive? Uh, yeah, it's going to be for it's going to be for patrons of all levels. Yay! Um, and we are. I'm also in the process of opening up a niche store, so if you wanted to just go and throw a couple of dollars at us, It'll be up there eventually, too. Finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to the Discord in our show notes or through our link tree on any of our social media stuff. We would love to have you come over and chat with us. Absolutely. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, again, welcome. We're glad you found us. You can find our other podcasts wherever you get your podcast or podcaster of choice. Um, as always, please subscribe and give us a rating and review. This helps increase our visibility and it lets us know what kind of content you guys enjoy hearing. Stay safe, everyone, and we will see you all again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.